This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. The first day we got to go fly fishing together this year was an April day in the Minnesota Driftless. It was a satisfying day. Dave and I caught a few trout, although we hardly knocked them dead, but it was a day that brought us a lot of joy and kept alive that sense of anticipation to fish again. Today we're going to reminisce about that day in hopes that it will raise your anticipation to get out on the water and remind you what it is that makes fly fishing such a great sport. So Dave, what was your first memory of that day? Well, it's the first memory of any day, which is coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And since you don't share those uh, joys, uh, coffee I know the- I just didn't get the coffee gene. I I make it for my wife some mornings, and uh, and I'm an expert at what to order at Starbucks. But uh, yeah, I just have to go with hot chocolate. <laughs> so, what do you drink outside of? Uh- Outside of coffee on in the mornings, nothing water. Yeah, yeah, I'm really kind of a water guy, or You're sometimes oh, yeah, I know, yeah, it, well, f- just for the morning. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the the healthy part quickly wears off. <laughs> well, my first memory of the day was a small coffee shop. We had stayed uh, at La Crosse, Wisconsin, for the night, and then we uh, were headed over to Gribbon Creek. Uh, for the first part of the day and we were looking for a coffee shop and I'm just not a fan of the coffee at, at convenience stores. Right. And uh, and I was about ready to concede that and go to the co- convenience store and find <laughs> some coffee when we ran across this little coffee shop uh, in this small town and it was, man, it was great coffee. It was a small shop. It had, it was kind of had all the character of a small town. Yep. And when mm-hmm. I asked the owner, you know, how well she did, I was worried, a little bit worried for her, wondering how this kind of a boutique coffee shop could actually survive she said well she said in the summertime there's actually a bike path here and it's actually you know it's actually there's a lot of traffic mm-hmm. in it the bike path was just maybe 100 yards from her uh, coffee shop but my first memory was great coffee and then we yeah. actually revisited that on the way back as well yeah that's so. right i think her husband was working there it was yeah. just interesting visiting with them i i think my first memory was uh, breakfast at stumpy's in rushford minnesota <laughs> just a little small town uh, cafe and and bar and kind of everything wrapped into one in fact this was about the third town we tried we could not find a a breakfast place. Some of these towns are so small, they really didn't have a place. And That's crazy when you think about yeah, a small it town. You think somebody would be able to right. make it work. Well, in fact, it was that gal, I think, in... Uh you know, in the coffee shop who said, uh, yeah, you have to drive to Rushford. There'll be something there. And so, yeah, Stumpy's was just a little small town cafe and kind of, uh, uh, you know, that there were a group of the, the locals who yep. were in one corner, kind of eyed us, you know, yeah. when we came in. It's like, okay, we haven't seen these guys before. but uh, And also kind of the nondescript menu that you always get. I mean, yes, it's pretty uh-huh. much the same old, yep. same old. Food is right. pretty much the same old, same old. Yep, it, it's right. <laughs> and it was good food. It and was that, good food. It really had a lot of character a lot of uh you know deer mounts that were hanging on the walls and just 
just a lot of little odds and ends. Just, yeah, just quirky. You know, yeah, it was. So just a cool place. So Steve, what was uh, your first memory of the waters that we fished that day? I remember driving up that little mountain valley along Gribbon Creek, and and uh, really, I I was just, just kind of came entranced with that even before we fished it. I mean, it it reminded me of uh, of uh, oddly enough a, a little stream that I had uh, uh, fly fished a little bit in Alaska with my brother-in-law and uh, you know even some things in the west and, and maybe that's because uh, there, there was nobody else there but just this this picturesque little stream there, there's pine trees and uh, and we, we found several access points and, and I, was, I was excited before we even got out of the vehicle I was struck by how skinny the water was yeah and, yeah uh, it was very clear it was really gorgeous water but I had researched uh, Gribbon Creek, um, and one of our whole points of this trip was to find new waters. So right. I'd gone on the DNR site and had poured over a bunch of maps and and um, and printed a bunch out. I w- you're always surprised at how th- small the creek is, yeah, especially yeah. if you grew up in the West and it's fished really the true. West, mm-hmm. and um, and also how hard it was to nymph. I did catch a nice brown. Uh, on a San Juan, and I finally found a, a run or two that could actually cast my fly. But it's very a small creek. The runs are not long, and um, but beautiful creek. But really difficult, uh, very difficult to nymph. And obviously, I think it's probably a dry fly creek, right? I think it's a great point. That I'm I'm coming to the conclusion: the more that I fish in the driftless, both in southeast Wisconsin and and uh, south. I'm sorry, Southwest Wisconsin, Southeast Minnesota. That it really is. Uh, it they're dry fly fisheries. I mean, you, you, they're guys who do fine on nymphs, but maybe it's just my stubbornness. But I'm I'm used to nymphing the big rivers in the West, and I I just don't have uh, the patience. You know, in fact, there there are some places where you have some really big, uh, you know, big deep holes, and and I would almost rather um, you know take a streamer. In fact, I, I did later in the day. I I put on a streamer after uh, the dry fly fishing slowed down, and I hit a couple big holes. Boy, I had a big brown on that just darted out from one of those, uh, you know, log jams or behind a big rock. And uh, yeah, for me, it almost seems like I in in the future it's going to be dry fly or. Uh, maybe a streamer or or bust i'm not saying i'll never fish with nymphs but it's it is it's a lot harder it's so shallow and uh, you, you really have to uh, you, you really have to work a lot harder it seems to me uh, for uh, the payoff do you remember there was an article i think you forwarded it to me and we may have posted it on twitter but it was it was one of the best articles on fishing small streams and the guy was saying and writing about how um when you dry fly on these small streams that if you don't catch um a fish was it rainbows that will generally hit it right away yeah and that browns typically it'll take a while like four or five casts Mm -hmm. yeah his the point in the article is obviously to keep moving on these small streams right um but he talked about just the hit rate and so you know if they're not hitting you just need to move on really quickly and i think that we've always practiced that as fly fishers uh not staying in one run mm-hmm. very long but i think that's even more true in some of these smaller streams yeah it really is so that was a great experience we got to 
to fish the gribbon. Uh, uh, you caught a few. I don't know if I even landed anything. It was pretty slow, but I, and, and usually that frustrates me, but I enjoyed the experience so much. Just, just the, the, the solitude and everything that, that I was fine. There were a few risers uh, on gribbon right at the end before we jumped in the car and headed yep, out. Yep, you're right. You're right. Um, but I didn't catch anything on a dry, actually. That's to right. Counter yeah. your point about nymphing. Yeah, that's... <laughs> the only one I caught there, a couple I caught was on nymphs. But, well, that's true. Uh, you're it's better. Tough to nymph. You're a better man than I am there, I, yeah. and it does it does make the point that I'm not saying nymphing isn't good. I, it's just more of my preference. I get impatient with it. I know that's hard to believe, Dave. Yeah, yeah you're 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 the model of paragon of patience. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, how about midday? We left Gribbon Creek, Dave, and we're we're headed to. Uh, uh, to Preston and to, to fish another little creek called Canfield. But before we get there, any memories from midday? There's a great uh, cafe in Preston, Minnesota. It's a great lunch cafe. It's called oh, the yeah. Sweet Stop and Sandwich uh, Shop. And when you've been you know, on the road a lot and you've eaten a lot at these small towns, occasionally you run into something where you go, wow, these owners are paying attention. Yeah. The bread was fresh. The meat was, I mean, everything about it was fresh. They had soda, you know, grape soda that you could purchase out of the cooler. I haven't had grape <laughs> soda in years. Um, and everything about it was fresh. I mean, different in kind from, say, a Subway, which I'm not saying Subway's not fresh, but it's predictable. Um, this was unpredictably yeah. fresh. And um, yep. so I, I was, I, it was just a nice little surprise, a nice little lollipop in the middle yeah, of the day. That was. You know, even before we got there, Dave, do you remember uh, uh, when we drove down that little mountain valley uh, that the Gribbon was in to get back on the main highway? It, it goes right by Whalen, Minnesota. Minnesota. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah, yeah. the sign, Population 63. And we actually pulled in there. I don't know if, what we were looking for, but there was an old restored Skelly gas station. I mean, that that was really cool. Yeah, it was really cool. That was cool. really cool. In fact, do you remember we stopped to get a picture and we stopped at this stop sign and got out and got pictures and then realized, you know, there hasn't been a vehicle moving in this town for the last <laughs> yeah. 10 minutes. So we, we actually put our waiters on or something we're parked at the stop sign yeah and we've we've got that you know the 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 back hatch of your uh, honda pilots open and the doors are open we've got fly gear strewn out on the road but it was a dead yeah, town holy cow there was nobody was. uh nobody around oh, man. But that oh, skelly get was it skelly that yes, uh -huh, yeah. yeah that was a it was completely restored that was very impressive very yeah. impressive yeah, yeah. old americana Yep, it really was. Yeah, the the other thing before we leave uh, Gribbon was, um, you know, right there, Gribbon rolls into and flows into the south branch of the root river. Right, yeah. And um, and we saw some, I think they were probably worm fishermen mm -hmm. yeah. know, sitting yep, on the bank there. But I would have liked to fish right where it comes in, but it's, yeah. it's really wooded there. And I, it didn't look like there was much access to the No, it would have been river. difficult. Yeah, so, great point. So after Gribbon Creek, we moved to Canfield Creek near Preston, Minnesota. And Canfield Creek is inside Forestville Mystery State park i think it's a state park right uh in in minnesota and uh, what was some of your first
first memories or maybe some of your best moments uh, from our afternoon there? Oh, wow. I love that little creek. Uh, first memories were the caddis that were on the water. In fact, remember we parked, we walked down, you actually walked down to the south branch of the Root River and there yeah. were caddis all over the place. And I think we had a couple strikes, but we we uh, we crossed it. There's a bridge where you can cross it and then you can walk up Canfield. And I, I couldn't believe how many caddis there were on the, the water. And uh, I... I had a lot of fun. Again, I don't think I caught more than, you know, three, maybe, what, three, four, five fish that afternoon, but they were all really nice uh, browns. I remember catching a, an 11-inch brown on a caddis pattern, and then there was one that just attacked my fly. I, I think you might have been behind me. You walked up when that... Oh, yeah. Never seen yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. the thing that, that hit me about that afternoon, and it was a good reminder, is I don't think... We should have probably been fishing more emergers, you know, because yeah. they weren't mm-hmm. hitting. I mean, we caught, definitely had some uh, nice trout that afternoon, but it wasn't mm-hmm. a high volume afternoon. <laughs> um, and I wondered if we had the right color or. That's a thing, too. I think you're right. I think color and size, uh, the, the patterns. I, I had a lot of caddis patterns that I use in the West, but they were they were a little lighter. Those caddis were a little bit darker. Yeah. And, and I think they might have been a little bit. Uh, what were they a little bit larger than the ones that that we had yeah they were a little bit larger i just wish i'd had just some nuance of color and yeah. uh, more mm-hmm. color uh in my in my fly box but i didn't but uh you know we didn't do poorly we did well but we didn't do like gonzo it wasn't like the best afternoon ever right but it was enough that that, that it really kept your interest yeah it you really know, did. when i find that i'm concentrating on the fishing that i'm i'm engaged and not frustrated uh you know it's 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 a good day and that was a that's a beautiful stretch of, of creek. Goodness, you yeah. just walk up through, you know, it's it's timbered but uh, very accessible. There's a and some nice runs. There really were. There really yeah, some yeah. nice runs. Yeah, and some deep places. In fact, that's that's it. Later in the day, when things slowed down, I I had gone by some of those big pools. There was one by a big rock and another that was in kind of some downfall. And I thought I'm just gonna, um, you know, put a you know woolly bugger on and see what happens. And I actually had a couple really uh, big strikes. I didn't hook anything out of that, but that was a great stretch. Dave, you had something else interesting that that afternoon. I, I think a little bit later when we were headed into to Preston, and I guess just something that struck both of us about the challenge of life in a small town. Well, one of the things that always comes up when you are on a trip, uh, or when Steve and I are on trips, you end up in these really good conversations. And we had a great conversation that was triggered by a stop at a convenience store where we uh, gassed up and grabbed something uh, to take with us for the rest of the day, and. In fact, we got our license. Oh, yeah, there. yeah, yeah. That's Remember? right. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's, it. Right. that's right. right. So yeah, yeah. it was earlier in the day, wasn't it? That's before? right. It was early. Yeah. It was that second day that we were there. Yeah. I think there was no caddis on the water that next day. Remember that? Right. Yeah. yeah so it was early in the morning. Well, uh, the woman who helped us, she was a young woman, probably looked to be in her early 20s, mid 20s. And um, so we got in a little conversation with her and come to find out she had just moved to Preston, Minnesota. And uh, she moved there because she had no other family. Her dad was living there and um, and she had two children. And so that triggered a conversation about how, how hard life must be for a single mom living in Preston, Minnesota, working at a convenience store who's probably making, what, eight, nine bucks an hour yeah, and trying yeah, to make ends meet. And uh, of course, no father in view. 
uh, or in, you know, it was yep. real clear that there's no father in the picture. And, um, you know, sometimes when you drive through these small towns, you think of it as very idyllic and mm-hmm. man, it'd be great to live there. Yeah. Um, but for most people who are working, um, it's not a great place. And I think there's no real yep. middle class. or the, the middle class is not as... That's true. The band of middle class is yep. not as wide in these smaller towns. That is. That's, that's tough. I remember that from living in the West, that uh, you know, even in Montana, that, that some of the, the small towns, uh, uh, you know, even, even in high school, I mean, our three older kids graduated from a high school of 200, and, and it was a good school in a lot of ways, but tell you what there was a there was a drug problem uh you know there at the the school and that's more pronounced than it is when you're in a high school of 2000 yeah and, yeah, yeah. and you just yeah you, you just see some of the the you're rawness. closer to it for yeah, that's, starters that's the point yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, yeah. you're right that's it you're you're closer to that rawness and you just don't have as many i guess just the volume of people or, or other things to shield you from that than when you're living in the suburbs or other places i mean the you know the pain is everywhere but yeah people sometimes think oh you know small town life but it's not mayberry you know what no, Wayland really and isn't. preston and yeah they're not mayberry. and belgrade montana and uh three forks so those towns it's it's not uh it's not mayberry that's for sure we've talked about um just people's desire to move west to move to montana to move to these small towns and what you find is that life is really really hard yeah and it um, really is. you know there's the jobs are just very very few and there's that old line everywhere you go there you are meaning mm-hmm. you also take yourself to yep. these small towns you do. <laughs> so if you're not yeah. happy in the burbs you're probably not happy in a small town yep. either that's right um but it was a great uh it was a great conversation and yeah. talked about kind of being happy where we are even though sometimes you and i think man wouldn't it be great to move back to montana right just fly yep. fish you know yeah 50 percent of the time yeah but it's uh, true it's the idea of learning to be happy where you're at yep. and also to to really appreciate the people who are working hard in these smaller Boy, towns. Boy, that's for sure. And there's some great people in those towns. Yeah, really no enjoy kidding. interacting with them. You know, there was something else, Dave, at the end of that day. Remember when we were on uh, um, Canfield Creek, right at the end of that? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Canfield Creek flows, well, actually, okay, it flows into the south branch of the route uh, right there in the Forestville uh, State Park. Mm-hmm. But as you walk up Canfield Creek, it eventually ends the creek doesn't end but the the trail ends yeah and if you walk up far enough about two miles maybe a mile and three quarters almost two miles um and we walked all the way up i had never walked i'd fished yeah. canfield before with my brother i actually had fished there in february and um and this was the second time i had fished there this year and but i had not walked all the way up but if you walk all the way up to the end of well it's not the end of canfield creek it's just the end of the trail as i mentioned Canfield Creek comes out of this big rock cliff. So there's this tiny little cave yeah. that that the stream flows out yep. of. I, mean, I bet that thing is, what, maybe three feet high? Maybe and... three feet high. And the creek at that point is maybe, what, a foot deep? Yeah. Coming mm-hmm. out of there. Yep. And, um, and if you look on the map, I think 
Canfield Creek continues underneath that rock formation and comes out the other yeah. side. So we thought originally maybe that's where the spring uh, emerged out of the out of the rock formation, but I think Canfield actually goes further. But there's no way to get there because yeah. how big is that cliff? I mean, that's got to be oh man, that's uh, three four hundred feet yeah, high. Yep. I mean, it's really mm-hmm. high, but it's it's just this gorgeous, gorgeous creek. And uh, coming out of that cave was kind of the perfect end of the day. Seeing that, experiencing that, yep. um, especially that first day in which we had such a great uh, yeah. caddis run and, and just the whole experience was yep. terrific. That was really cool. There were also a bunch of geese, uh, not a bunch of geese. There was actually several geese nesting there and we kept kind of moving them yeah, up the river. Yeah. Remember that? That's and they were right. kind of complaining. Yeah. I'm sure they were. They had a nest. And, That's right. Um, <laughs> but there was two in particular that weren't happy with, uh, with our presence on the river. Yeah. <laughs> Again, a terrific, terrific little stream with a lot of great runs. Yeah. It's definitely not a a place you want to go to late July, uh, probably through the end of August or at least the third week of August. I've fished that during that time and it's packed with uh, campers and, yeah. hike, and hikers and also fly fishers. So, sure. Steve, what was your uh, final memory of the day? You know, I, I think for me, maybe it was uh, just reflecting back over the day and realizing, uh, uh, wow, you know, we, we've had a whole day of solitude. We just didn't have, uh, you know, other fly fishers. It was such a, a beautiful setting. And, and I think for me, I really felt uh, that day Day, like I was able to uh, unwind and, and relax and just enjoy the the outdoors. We we saw a lot of cool things. We you know we talked about that gas station, but I remember too up Gribbon Creek there was a there was an old stone church that had uh, fallen into disrepair. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it reminded me of of uh, you know back in Pennsylvania or places like that. Sometimes you'll go to a Civil War battlefield and you'll see these structures that are kind of dilapidated and they've in fallen ruins. apart. Yeah. yeah. And th- that this was it. Just kind of out there and it just reminded you, you know, these places have a history to them and and it, w- it was pretty cool. The other thing um, that right by that church was a stretch of the river, probably for 200 yards. Well, we call it the stream because it was not really a river, right uh, or creek. But there was a stretch where you couldn't fish, and there were all these do not no trespassing signs, and it, it kind of gave me a little chuckle where somebody had you know purchased their piece of happiness yeah, out on Gribbon right. Creek, you know, and and keeping all the fly fishers out. That's and, right. You're uh, not going to mess with. You're it. not going to mess with them. But it was great because there's just all this state uh, land that you can fly fish, and then yep. there's this little stretch where somebody had figured out how to purchase some property right on the stream. Yeah, and uh, and and found his own piece of happiness. Yep. So, a great place and, and a very good day. Yeah, great day. Good day. Well, it's time now for great stuff from our listeners. We always enjoy reading your comments and your questions. Uh, today's item comes from our friend Glenn Zarboni. He's a fly fishing guide in the Adirondacks of New York State. He commented on our recent podcast, "Making Sense of Leaders and Tippets," and this is what he wrote. He said, "Another tip for newbie fly." fishers is to cut off the first 18 inches or so of the tippet section on your leader you can feel the transition of the taper and then tie on a tippet ring Uh, to that ring then you can tie on the appropriate tippet length and size without having to change out the whole leader you can save the butt end for quite a while always inspect the butt end for abrasion but with the tippet ring you simply tie on a piece of tippet for the current situation and go 
Have you ever used a tippet ring? No, I haven't. But that makes a lot of sense. You, you know, if if people who are new fly fishers realize that that tying tippet onto the end of a leader that that the knot is a little bit more complicated than just uh, you know tying a you know piece of uh, leader onto your hook. And so by by putting that little tippet ring, I guess it would just you can use the same knot then that you use for everything else. I think you asked him if in fact that affected you know your cast at all and he said yeah he no. says it doesn't it's it's so small yeah he also mentioned that if you're going to use a tippet ring i think he said this that you should create these before you go out yeah so you're not working on the stream yeah. trying to tie on these tippet exactly yeah yep. i have enough problems out on the stream oh i know that. i know so. it's it's hard to see with my eyes but that's a way, that's another tip too uh, always always have the stream or the river uh, as your backdrop when you're trying to thread the uh you know the, the the tippet or or the end of your leader through the eye of a hook well that's going to do it for today uh, what makes for a satisfying day when you're fly fishing well catching fish is the yeah, obvious answer absolutely but what else brings satisfaction to a fly fisher's soul uh, please tell us by going to two guys in a river.com and commenting on this podcast link you can find two guys in a river on facebook instagram and twitter we'd certainly love for you to subscribe to our podcast feed on your mobile phone or tablet each week we publish a new episode of the podcast and a new article and many listeners to two guys use podcasts as their mobile app and you can find that app in your app store well thanks again for listening i'm steve matthewson and i'm dave getz until next time we are two guys in a river for the love of fly fishing (laughs) 